You know, car manufacturers spend millions and millions of dollars every year in crashing perfectly good cars. They spend millions of dollars in research and development of crash test dummies. And the whole purpose is to put them through the extreme crashes and to see how they respond and how they can therefore make the vehicle safer for real people. So hopefully, through the example and the crashes of the crash test dummies, the rest of us can miss some of that harm and danger out on the streets in real life. And you know, that's kind of the way life ought to be. We ought to learn how to learn from the mistakes of others. We ought to recognize that there are wise ways to live and there are foolish ways to live. And if we will look around us, we'll see many examples of both of those. We'll see examples of wise ways to live, and we would do well to emulate those ways, those examples, those patterns. And then we could also see some foolish ways to live that people exemplify every single day, and they ought to be living billboards for us. Don't do this. Don't live like that, or you're going to find yourself in the same predicament that they are in. And you know, even the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is filled with sayings that are practical to help us see the difference and to aspire to living wise lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about today as we start this new series, Don't Be a Dummy. I want to help you and me to discover some ways to learn from the mistakes of others because there has to be a better way. And so today we're going to talk about an important proverb that will impact every single one of us. We're talking today about choosing friends wisely. When I was in first grade, I had my best friend named Stevie. Stevie lived right next door to me on Brookwood Drive in Valdosta, Georgia. Stevie was my first really childhood friend. And because he lived right next door, we hung out together. Uh, either his mother would pick us up after school or my mom would pick us up after school. It was Stevie where I was first invited to a sleepover. We, we had a bunch of friends that gathered at his home and uh, were all just a little elementary grade school kids. And we had a good time eating and playing games. And then somebody had the great idea late that night that we would watch a black and white vampire movie. And uh, so by midnight, I'm calling my mother, you can come get me now. It is time to come home. It was the first time in uh, my friendship with Stevie that I got to ride in a Corvette. Stevie's dad had a white Corvette, and he would take us through town in that beautiful Corvette. And it was Stevie was the first person I knew who got chicken pox. In fact, I, I noticed Stevie wasn't at school one day, and I came home and my mom said, Now, Ricky, uh, you need to know that Stevie has chicken pox and that's a contagious disease, so you can't go in his home. And being a good, obedient son, I obeyed my mom. I did not go into his home. Instead, I went next door, knocked on his bedroom window, and he opened his window, and we played matchbox cars, matchbox cars on the windowsill. And as you probably know the rest of the story, I got chicken pox. But I obeyed my mom. I did not go into that house. And you know, I learned an important life lesson that day. That the friends you make can make or break you. The friends you make can help you or harm you. And that is true whether you're a child going back to school this year or whether you're an adult. We need to recognize that the people we do life with influence us. They have an impact on our lives. Sometimes that influence is good and sometimes it might not be so good. And if we're going to be wise, we'll be careful 
in the friends that we choose, that inner circle of our friends. We'll be cautious about that because not only can we influence them, but they can also influence us. And the wise thing to do is make sure the people you surround yourself with in those intimate, close friendships are people who are going to help you do life better and to be a better person. And so today I want to take you to a proverb uh, that helps us understand the importance of choosing friends wisely. It's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. And a proverb is simply a pithy saying that summarizes how life generally works. These aren't necessarily promises or guarantees, but they're ways that the world typically works put in words that we can remember and relate to. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, we read these words, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, the writer of this proverb is saying that whoever walks with the wise, he's using the analogy of walking to describe life. Whoever you do life with, whoever you conduct your life with, whoever is your companion on the journey of life, if that person is wise, then you'll become wise. They rub off on you. They become a good influence on you. And in the book of Proverbs, the wise person is not necessarily the smartest person in the world. The wise person, according to the book of Proverbs, is the one who knows the will of God and who lives the will of God. The wise person in the book of Proverbs is someone who has dedicated himself or herself to discovering God's view on issues and then seeks to live according to God's views. A wise person in the book of Proverbs is someone who not only has right beliefs, but they translate those right beliefs into right behavior. That's a wise person. In fact, in our home, we, we discussed wisdom when our children were growing up. And we talked about how do we know if our children are wise? One of the ways that we knew they were wise is if not only they passed their driver's ed test, so they had the right head knowledge, and not only did they pass the driving test with the instructor, but that they actually obeyed the laws of the road most of the time when mom and dad were not with them, Joshua. Uh, so, so that's when you know a person is wise, is whenever they not only know the right thing to do, but they actually do the right thing when the time comes. And this proverb says, whoever walks with the wise... If you surround yourself with people who are intent on knowing the will of God for their lives and they're, they're intent on living out the will of God for their lives, then they're going to rub off on you and you're going to be better for having those kind of people in your life. Because there is no higher aspiration in life than to know and to do the will of God. When it is all said and done, our lives will be lives characterized by wisdom and goodness and godliness if we have dedicated ourselves to knowing the will of God and to living out the will of God. But on the other side of this equation, this proverb reminds us, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, in this case, a fool is someone who either does not know the will of God and doesn't care, or knows the will of God and doesn't care. The foolish person is self-centered. 
The foolish person doesn't care what God thinks about life and morality. The foolish person lives the way they want to live and they could care less about anybody else, including God. And that's a foolish person. And if you hang around people who are self-centered, who don't care about living for God, who don't care about living a righteous life, not only are they going to do harm to themselves, they're going to rub off on you if you're not careful. If you're in close, intimate relationship with a fool, it won't be long before they encourage you to participate in their foolishness. Or they harm you with their foolish advice. Or they harm you with their foolish example. And you begin to lower your standards. Now I think all of us in this room could give testimony of people in our lives who have been wise people and good influences on us. As well as people who were foolish who were bad influences on us. For example, some of you could talk this morning, if I gave you a moment, and you could talk about how a true friend was the first one to come to your home when you lost your loved one. They were there, they stood by your side, they wept with you, they prayed with you, and you don't know now how you could have gotten through that dark time without your friend. For some of you, it was your friend who invited you to church for the first time and to get them off your back because you are friends and you finally gave in and you showed up and you learned about God's love and you met Jesus and he has changed your life all because a friend cared enough about you to want you to know Jesus. For some of you, you could say, it was my friend who encouraged me to believe in myself when I was really struggling with my, my own self-esteem. And they said, you can do this. You can go back to school. You can do that job. And they believed in me when no one else did, and even when I didn't believe in myself. Or maybe some of you could say, I know a friend who sticks closer than a brother because when my family bailed on me, when my family abandoned me, when my family let me down, it was my friend who stayed there and stood by my side. Aren't you grateful for good friends like that? As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, uh, Solomon, the same one who gathered most of these Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, gives us some wisdom in Ecclesiastes about the importance of having friends in your life. He, he describes it like this, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Solomon says it is important to have good friends in your life, to have people who not only make your life better, but make you better as a result. That, that it is important to have people who are there to help you not to harm you. People who will reach out and help you up when you have fallen down. Someone who is there to stand with you in the battle, back to back, shoulder to shoulder. Someone who's going to keep you warm when the cold, hard realities of life come crashing in on you. You need people in your life who are good friends. And listen, I'm just going to be honest. We don't have hundreds of those kinds of friends, you're lucky if you have just a few of those good kind of friends. 
that will stick close to you. We have friends and we have acquaintances and we have neighbors, but we all know there's a difference between a Facebook friend whom you've never met and a real friend that you do life with. I've got almost 2,000 Facebook friends. I don't know a lot of them. You know some of them, and they friend requested me, and I felt guilty, so I had to click accept. But I don't know them, and, and I don't feel comfortable calling on them, and I don't feel comfortable sharing my deepest secrets with them, and I certainly don't reveal my struggles and my fears with them. But I can tell you this, I've got a handful of people in my life that I could call them anytime, day or night, and I could say, I need you, and they would be there for me. And I've got a few people that I hope consider me their friend as well. And so we need those kind of people in our lives. But we could also share the, the opposite, that, that taking no responsibility away from ourselves and our own actions, we all have stories of how we allowed friends to influence us for the bad. Maybe you would say, it was my friend who first introduced me to drugs or alcohol. And maybe they could handle the alcohol, but I couldn't. And it was my friend who led me down that path. Maybe you look back on your life now and say, you know, it was my friend who was whispering in my ear that there was nothing wrong with this affair. Everybody does it, they said. God wants you to be happy, they said. And I look back now and I realize how foolish I was to go against God in my marriage vows and to listen to my friend in that area of my life. Maybe you would say it was my friend who told me about this get-rich-quick scheme and all we did was get in trouble quick and I lost a lot of money quickly all because I listened to them and I followed their advice. Maybe it was your friend who introduced you to the latest conspiracy theory on the internet and you went down that wormhole and you've realized how you allowed a lot of that stuff to poison your thinking because of their foolishness that they sent your way. All of us recognize that friends can be a good influence or a bad influence. They can make us better or they can make us worse. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company. Not the rock group. Uh, he's about just the people you hang out with who are foolish, who are bad, who are, who are negative, ungodly influences can corrupt your own morals and your values. And so often I see people, they get into these relationships and maybe they have good intentions and they say, I'm going to lift that person up. And there's a place for that. There's a place for us to be good witnesses. There's a place for us to be friends with people that we're trying to influence. But we have to be careful. If we get into too close of an intimate relationship with people who are going in the opposite direction of God's will, it is easier for them to pull us down than for us to pull them up. If you come up to me on this stage and we lock hands, it is easier for you to pull me off this stage than for me to pull you up on it. And you've got to be careful because, as Paul says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, who are these foolish people that perhaps the writer of Proverbs has in mind that he's warning us against close, intimate relationships with? Well, there are many, many Proverbs that we could read that contrast the wise and the foolish. But let me just take you to one catalog 
of evil that God detests. And you can see the kind of actions that God is opposed to. And these are the kind of foolish people we ought to be on guard against. It's in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Uh, I'll read this from the New Living Translation. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, the writer says, There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Now, this is a literary device to say there are six things Wait a minute, there's seven. What it does is it grabs the attention of the reader. That I need to listen to this list because this is an important catalog. And I especially need to pay attention to the last of the list. Six things? No, there's seven. And so it invites the reader into this list. And so here's what God detests. Here's what God is opposed to. First of all, he detests, verse 17, haughty eyes. Haughty, that's not a word we use a whole lot in our culture. But it means someone who looks down their nose at you. Have you ever met a person who is prideful, who is haughty, who is arrogant, who thinks that they are better, who thinks that they are superior to someone else? Well, the Bible says this is pride and God detests Pride. Pride was the original sin that caused Satan to rebel against God and try to establish his own demonic kingdom. And it is pride that says, I'm better than someone else. And if you are hanging around someone who's looking down on other people as if they are superior to them, you ought to be careful lest they rub off on you. And you ought to be careful because one day, They'll look down their nose at you as well. In fact, sometimes this is is superiority where we think that if you don't live in the right neighborhood or if your skin color is not like mine or if you don't have as much money as I have or you don't drive the right kind of car, then I'm going to, whether I ever say it or not, I'm going to look down my nose at you. It can even turn into racial superiority where people think that their Race is superior, forgetting there's only one race. It's the human race. I don't want to get into the book of Genesis this morning, but I do remind you that the Bible says we were created as Adam and Eve, the first parents, and the rest of us came from mom and dad. We trace our lineage to them. And Adam and Eve were created equally by God and equally in the sight of God. And because of that, there is no room for racial superiority. It is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. And if you're hanging around people like that, they're going to rub off on you. And you need to be careful. Because God detests haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. He also detests a lying tongue. A lying tongue. Now... Here the writer is saying, not a person who has lied before, because all of us, in one way or the other, have lied. He's talking about the people who have the habitual nature of their lives, is to tell lies. That this is who they are. That is the pattern, it's the habit of their life, to shade the truth, to get ahead. To lie if it conceals their sin, or if it helps them. And there again, this is antithetical to our God, who is the truth, according to Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And you ought to be careful hanging out with people who are lying about other people. Because if someone will lie to you about another person, it won't be long before they lie about you to another person. You cannot trust a person who will not speak the truth. And God detests people who are lying as a habitual part of their lives. Now, he's not talking about preachers, by the way, who lie all the time. Have you ever heard a preacher lie? You've heard it whenever he says, now, in conclusion, and then 15 minutes later, he's still talking. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, right? There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that kill the innocent. God detests hands that kill the innocent. Violence and anger and bloodshed and murder and abuse. God hates those actions. Because there again, to abuse another person and ultimately even to kill another person is to harm someone created by God in the image of God. It is to treat as trash and garbage what God considers to be sacred. And that is human life. The sanctity of human life from conception to death is something that Christians ought to stand up for because we are created by God and anyone who would seek to kill the innocent is people is a person that we shouldn't hang out with. And maybe you're thinking, this is the easiest one to obey. Okay, don't be friends with serial killers. Check. I won't do that one. <laughs> but don't forget, we just preached a few months ago or a few weeks ago, the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus reminded us in that sermon, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, anyone who hates his brother and is angry with his brother without cause is already guilty. Because where do you think murder originates? It originates in a contempt for humanity. It originates in unbridled and uncontrolled anger. And one of the things that we ought to pray for and stand against in our culture is this devaluing of human life. We may disagree on issues, but we can never treat other people with utter contempt because that is not God's will. He goes on in verse 18. Here's what God hates. A heart that plots evil. This is the schemer. This is the person who gets up every day trying to figure out a new way to swindle someone, to break the law, or to live as close to illegality and immorality as they can without going over. And they're constantly trying to figure out a, a shortcut to get what they want. Their heart is constantly plotting evil. And God says, don't hang out with those kind of people. I don't know about you, but if some people put more energy in just doing the right thing as they do in doing the bad, our world would be so much better off. I mean, some folks, they spend so much time and energy on doing the wrong thing. If they would ever channel that in doing the right thing, they could truly make a difference for good in our world. And then there are people who not only plot it, there are people who actually pull it off. Because God also hates feet that race to do wrong. These are the people who say, let's stop talking about doing wrong and let's get doing it. Let's do it. They're in a hurry to do wrong. They're in a hurry to go against God's will. They're in a hurry to give in to sin and to evil. And God says, be careful 
that you don't become close friends with those kind of people. Verse 19, God also detests a false witness who pours out lies. Now, he's already told us that God hates a lying tongue. Why does he now repeat himself with saying God hates a false witness who pours out lies? Because a lying tongue describes someone who's lying in just everyday life. But this person who pours out a false witness is someone who is in a courtroom. They're in the judicial system and they are promulgating lies. When they were supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And God detests this because culture depends on people being truthful in those times and in those matters. And yet we see people all the time filing fraudulent lawsuits, perjuring themselves, and God detests that because it undermines culture and society. And here's that seventh one that Solomon wanted to draw our attention to. There are six things the Lord hates, yea, seven he detests. A person who sows seeds of discord in a family. A person who sows discord in a family. This is the person who's going around always stirring up animosity, stirring up grief, stirring up discontentment, starting fights and starting quarrels. This is the person who is always looking to cause trouble. And God hates that because this is the, the fruit of all the other things that God hates. And this is the result of what these people are doing. Ultimately, they're sowing seeds of discord among the brethren. For the Jewish people, it could have been the Hebrew nation, the family of God. For us, it would be the church the body of Christ, the family of God. Maybe for you, it's your own personal family. But God hates troublemakers who are always seeking to destroy relationships and be self-centered. And these are the kind of people you've got to be careful with that you don't have close, intimate relationships with. Because the friends you make will either make or break you. And it's possible that they will influence you. It's possible that they will draw you in to their evil and their sin. You're saying, well, come on, Pastor, we're supposed to love these people. Absolutely. Did you read anything in here that says hate these people? No. God hates their actions. But we're to love people. Well, come on, Pastor, we're supposed to witness to these people. Absolutely. Did you hear anything in here that says don't point these people to God and don't tell them about Jesus and don't call them to repent of their sin and turn to faith in Christ? No. The warning here is that if you get into a close, intimate relationship and you're doing life with these kind of people, they're going to rub off on you if you're not careful. And you've got to be aware of this. Because whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You'll either become like them or you'll suffer the consequences of the evil that they've done. And some of you right now are thinking of people in your life that you know good and well, if you really want to do the life like God wants you to do, you need to love those people, you need to pray for those people, you need to be witnesses to those people, but you need to cut off some close friendships with them because it's doing you more harm than good. 
They're trying to pull you away from God rather than help you live for God. That's why in recovery, one of the first things we know we have to do after we've admitted our own need and our own powerlessness and our dependence upon God is to put some parameters around us that keep us from falling back into those patterns. And usually those patterns look like people because there are people who want to pull you aside and pull you away, pull you down, and you've got to be careful. Maybe this morning there's someone who says, oh no, I am that person. I've not been a good influence on my friend. I've been trying to pull them into my mess. Misery loves company. And I've constantly badgered them and harassed them to break their morals and to not live out what they believe God would have them to live. Dear friend, I'm glad you realized that because that's not what a friend does. And if that's what you're doing, stop doing it. You're not being a friend to that person. A friend brings out the best and wants the best. And a friend honors boundaries that another person puts up in their life. And if you keep trying to push them against what they believe in their heart is God's will, you're not being a friend to them. Maybe it's a boyfriend pressuring a girlfriend or a girlfriend pressuring a boyfriend. Maybe it's a business partner. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a political ally. But if you've got people in your life who keep pushing you to throw away what you believe is God's will for your life, then you need to be careful with those people. You know why? Because a true friend will love you and will sacrifice for you. Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you've got people in your life that you're always laying down your life for them, but they never sacrifice anything for you, it may not be a real friend. Because a true friend is one who will lay down his life for you. Life's not about them. Life is about making you better and helping you. And bringing out the best in you. And if it's true friendship, it's mutual. You're better because they're in your life and they're better because you're in theirs. Did I say that right? You get the point. It's a mutual benefit if you're in each other's lives. But if it's a one-way street, that's not friendship. That's codependency. And that's not healthy. And who is the friend in your life that will lay down their life for you, that will speak the truth to you, that will point out whenever you're getting out of God's will, that will speak into your life, hey, let's pray about this and seek God's will first. Who's that friend in your life? And they're even willing to lay down their friendship to tell you the truth. And if you don't like it, they're still going to tell you the truth. Do you have people in your life like that? We all need people like that who are true friends to us. And you certainly need Jesus because he's the only one who's a perfect friend. Now, maybe you're saying, okay, I knew he would get to that. He, you know, them preachers always throw Jesus in. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, a, a, you know, a one-trick pony. <laughs> I, I honestly have nothing else to say outside of Jesus. But you tell me who else in this world, in your life, knows everything about you and loves you anyway. And went to a bloody cross and died for your sin. And rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven by all you have to do is trust in him as your Lord and your Savior. Listen, that's a true friend. 
Greater love has no one than this, that a friend would lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he went to us on the cross of Calvary. Let him be the best friend in your life and evaluate every other friendship on that standard. That's why we encourage people to uh, come to faith in Christ. You need him as that friend in your life. But that's why we also encourage you to get involved in our church and get involved in a life group. Because life group is where we do life together. Where we have friends in our life who are bringing out the best in us. And they're, they're, they're like us. They're not perfect. But they're trying to know God's will better. And they're trying to live it out every day. And we need people like that in our lives. And so I'm going to remind you today that you need friends in your life because the friends you make will make or break you. Intentionally invite, wisely invite these kind of friends in your life who will help you draw closer to God and live for Him and get into a life group. Don and I, my wife and I, have a life group that we're part of. Our group typically meets on Thursday nights. During the summer, we don't meet because when we do meet, we meet for a couple of hours each time. And we meet in people's homes and those are my, my friends, and those are our friends. Those are the people that we share everything with. And listen, as your pastor, as much as I love every single one of you, I cannot be a best friend to everybody. We have over 2,000 members of this church. And your family and your friends call on me, and I am humbled and honored to serve you. But I wish I could be everything to everyone. I can't. It's Physically impossible. But what I can do is to create environments in our church where if you choose, you can plug in and have true friendships for life. Friends who will suffer with you, who will laugh with you, who will study the scriptures with you, who will serve God in our community with you. You need those people in your life. I can't make you go to a life group, but I'm going to encourage you, if you're even interested in learning more about a group, just go to our website, fcbc.life forward slash life groups, and just fill out that little information, and we'll contact you about a group that meets in your area or meets on Sunday morning. Some of our groups meet on Sunday morning. Some of them meet during the week. We'll find a place for you. We'll find a group with you in mind. But do you need people in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've often wondered whatever happened to Stevie. We lost touch after... Uh, our family moved, and uh, his parents were divorced. And I've often wondered, whatever happened to Stevie? And I, I pray some days for Stevie. I said, God, I hope he knows you and trusts you and is living for you. And I would love to find him. So I've tried to find him, but I've been unsuccessful uh, up to this point. But I'm grateful that I had that friend as my first true friend. Because he set a good example of what a friend looks like. And my prayer is that you will not only have a friend like that, I'm praying you'll be one too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for this reminder from your word. That greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we thank you, Jesus, for being that example to us of love and friendship. And thank you for this reminder that the friends we make can make or break us. We all know this is true. So help us to be wise in the 
choices we make as we invite people into those intimate relationships and friendships of life. Help us to evaluate our friendships. Are they helping us know you and live for you? Or are they pulling us away from you? And God, we know that the wise friends will be those friends who help us to know you better and to live for you more. And God, we need those kind of people in our lives, but we also need to be that person for someone else. So help us to be wise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.